So as Pete said, we're beginning this morning with our brand new series, summer series, in the parables. We're going to spend five Sundays looking at just some of the parables that Jesus taught. Jesus often taught in parables. In fact, they make up of his teaching in the Gospels, they make up one-third of his teaching. And depending on how you count them and where you divide them up, there are about 27 parables in all. And so actually I thought something you could do, something we could do around the dinner table later on or when you get with some family or friends, why not see how many parables you already know and remember? Just kind of pull together, work together. How many can we remember? Um, And you don't even have to remember the titles of them because the titles aren't kind of, God didn't give them titles, it's just our Bibles put a little title on them to help us find them. But, you know, if you can just remember, oh, there was one about some seeds, and wasn't there one about a son that ran away and then came home? You get a point for that. That's the kind of answers we're looking for. But have a go. See how many you can remember. I think you'll probably be surprised. We will be surprised by how many we can. Because Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever walked the earth. And he taught in parables precisely so that his teaching would be memorable and powerful. Now, a parable is essentially a story with a message. It's a simple illustration drawn from everyday life designed to teach a deeper spiritual truth. One uh, pastor and writer, his name's James Montgomery Boyce, helpfully suggests that Jesus' parables fit quite neatly into five main themes or categories. So we'll get them up on the screen here. Uh, So he says you could pretty much park all the parables in one of these five categories. There are parables of the kingdom, parables of salvation, parables of wisdom and folly, parables of the Christian life, parables of judgment. Well, of course, in five Sundays, we're not going to tackle all 27 parables, but Pete and I thought it would be helpful to do one parable from each of these five categories over the course of the summer. So this morning, we're going to begin with the first category, a parable from that first one, a parable of the kingdom. And we've chosen in particular the one that's usually often called the parable of the sower. Although I think a better title, and many others would say this as well, would be something like the parable of the seed and the soil. The parable of the seed and the soil. So that's the title for this morning, the parable of the seed and the soil. Just before we read it though, let me just add one more helpful pointer about parables that it's good for us to be aware of, which is that a parable is not the same as an allegory. In an allegory, every single detail has spiritual significance tied to it. So that with an allegory, you can spend hours like, um, uh, like your Sherlock Holmes or Miss Marple or the Famous Five trying to unpack all of these hidden secrets within the story and find the hidden meanings. But no, in a parable... Most of the fine details don't have any special significance, except that they help tell a vivid and engaging story. And it's the story as a whole which carries the message. The the story as a whole carries the point of the parable. Most often, a parable is meant to teach one simple overarching truth through what it says. And our parable this morning is an especially, I think, a good one to start with. It's, in, in many ways, it's the one Jesus used to introduce the parables. It is perhaps one of the easiest ones to begin with because right after Jesus tells the story, he turns to his disciples and he basically explains what it all means so clearly. 
And this parable is all about the importance of truly listening to Jesus' words and rightly receiving them into, the, into our hearts. That's what it's about. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Uh, and then if it's helpful for some of us that like visual things, we're going to have a picture come up on the screen as I read, just to give a, put into our minds the kind of things that are being talked about here. Okay, so this is Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now this morning, to help us, I want to give um, a gift to many of you, particularly to the children and uh, young people amongst us, but I've, I think I've got enough for others as well. Um, it might not be something that you put at the top of your Christmas list, unless you are sort of in your mid, middle of life on, but anyway, kids, this is for you. Um, I have got a uh, whole batch of flower seeds. All right, maybe this is a project for you to do over the summer. You can find a pot somewhere to plant them. Um, but I wanted to give you a packet of these each. So what I'll do, perhaps can someone, um, who's John, you're being nudged, being volunteered by Ange. John, will you just uh, do the rounds? And um, there are lots of these, so give them to anyone, either young or 
just looks keen. Now, if you don't like the look of what you've got, you can swap them afterwards if you like. It's like the new trading cards for the middle-aged. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've looked at seeds recently, uh, and I would suggest kids don't open the seed packets right now until you find somewhere to plant them, but you can probably feel through a seed packet how small these seeds are. Most seeds look very small and unimpressive, but I think they're actually an excellent picture of Jesus' words and their power, because every good seed packet contains three important elements that when you put them together will lead to amazing growth. First of all, there's the seeds themselves in the packet. Second, there's the instructions on the back that say a lot about what kind of soil they ought to be grown in. And thirdly, there's the picture on the front that promises you what the seeds uh, will hopefully look like. Each of those three elements, I think, have parallels in this parable that Jesus has just told. So my three headings for this morning are quite simply these. We're going to see the seed, the soil, and the promise. The seed, the soil, and the promise. First of all, the seed. Uh, as Jesus begins to explain this parable to his disciples, the first thing he tells them is what the seed represents. There, he says, a picture of God's word. They are Jesus' word. The seeds are a picture of Jesus' words about himself, uh, about the kingdom that he has come to bring, and about the forgiveness and new life that he has come to offer. Now, like our flower seeds, Jesus' words at times might seem quite small and unassuming at first glance. But he tells us his words have power. They have the power, when planted in the right place, to produce something incredible. In fact, Jesus' words can produce something far more uh, incredible and radiant and beautiful than the flowers that those seeds are going to produce. The words of Jesus have the power to completely transform our lives. That's why he begins this parable with one very important word, listen. Listen, he says. Because right here, in this parable about a farmer sowing seed, Jesus is sowing seed. As he tells it, he is sowing his word through this story and every one of his hearers, including you and me this morning, have a starring role in this parable. We are the soil. That's our second heading for this morning. That was the quickest point we've ever done, I think. We've done the seed. Here is the soil. According to the instructions on the back of many of these seed packets, soil really matters. It, it really matters what you plant your seeds into. And in order to grow, they need to be sown into the right kind of soil. And according to Jesus, in order to grow, his words need to be planted into the right kind of heart. And that's where these four soils come in. Jesus describes four different kinds of soil that the farmer sows his seed into, and he says that the four soils represent four different ways that people will respond to Jesus' words. Notice the seed is the same in all four circumstances. But whether the seed explodes into new life or it doesn't depends on the heart response of the person who hears them. Uh, so like I say, we've all got a starring role in this story, in this parable. Jesus wants us to be asking ourselves as we listen, what kind of soil am I? 
How is my heart responding to Jesus today, even now as he speaks to us? Now, the first group of seed falls onto the path. And though paths back then weren't made of tarmac or concrete like they are today, still a well-used path across a field would, would have been very, very thoroughly packed down and, and solid and hard. And on this kind of surface, no seed that fell on it could penetrate and grow. Just as your flower seeds will not grow if you just go scatter them across the pavement or across your garden path later today. The seeds are good, but the surface is not. The only ones who benefit from seeds on the path are the birds, he says, who swoop down to eat them. Uh, now, this first soil is a picture of people whose hearts are hard and disinterested in what Jesus has to say. His word leaves no lasting impression on this kind of heart. It's in one ear and out the other, quickly snatched away and forgotten. Now, there are many causes of this kind of hardness of heart. Ultimately, it's sin that has hardened our hearts. But, but one sort of cause that's part of that and alongside of that, I think, is actually simple, everyday busyness. Just as the path in the farmer's field became rock hard because of all the foot traffic, all the busyness of people moving up and down it each day, some people allow their lives to be so consumed in a flurry of busyness and a flurry of distraction that they crowd out any consideration of God. They crowd it out with just thought about other things. Thoughts about work and hobbies and TV, music, sports, travel, and, and so, so, so much more. They're so consumed with much less important things that when they hear his word, it simply bounces off them or sits on the surface and, and the, Jesus says Satan quickly snatches it away. The, the seed doesn't even begin to take root in those with these hard hearts. The second group of seeds, Jesus tells us, falls onto rocky ground where there is soil, but there's not a lot of soil. And if you plant your seeds in rocky ground, what will likely happen is because the roots can't grow down very far, the, the flowers will actually come up much quicker. They'll immediately begin to grow upwards above the ground, uh, maybe quicker than other plants that are planted in better soil. And so you'll initially be really excited. You'll be enthused. Wow, I planted these seeds yesterday, and a few days on, the flowers have appeared already. But under the surface, there's no deep roots to support it. And when the hot weather comes and the sun beats down on it, your plant, your flowers will quickly wither and die. They'll be here today and gone tomorrow, and the seed will have been wasted. In the same way, it's possible to hear Jesus' words and get initially... Very excited. Very, very excited. Perhaps because we like some of the benefits that Jesus seems to offer. Perhaps we even start out more enthusiastic and more excited than many others that are listening as well. But our response to Jesus in this case is shallow. Once we begin to discover that following Jesus can be challenging too, we quickly throw in the towel. And we say, oh, forget it. Forget about it. It's not worth the pain and the cost. And his words shrivel up in our hearts. Such people are quick to profess faith and quick to abandon it when troubles come. And though there were superficial signs of growth, a shallow-hearted response in the end is no better than a hard-hearted response. There is no fruit. 
The third group of seeds fall, Jesus tells us, amongst weeds and thorns. It's, it's like these seeds are dropped into a war zone. And um, uh, So look out for these in your garden, kids, as you go to plant these seeds. If your garden is like our garden, uh, your mum or dad may have, have certain areas that are no-go zones for weeding. Uh, and it's like a war zone of weeds and thorns. That is not the place you want to plant your seeds. Because no sooner do they pop up their first shoots above the surface, then they're quickly choked and strangled by aggressive thorny plants all around them. This kind of soil, Jesus explains, represents people who, verse 19, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Their interest in knowing and following Jesus is kind of in competition with other much more powerful desires. And so Jesus lovingly warns us that his word won't ultimately grow and bear fruit in us if we allow ourselves to be consumed with all of life's worries and riches and pleasures. A strangled heart is a divided heart. It's like the story they tell in the Christianity Explored course of the young man who said to a girl, Darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in all the world. Will you marry me? I know I'm not rich. I don't have a big house or a beautiful car like Jeffrey Brown, but I do love you with all my heart. And the young woman replies, I love you with all my heart too, but tell me more about Jeffrey Brown. In the same way, sadly, many seemingly professing Christians People who profess to love and trust Jesus above all things ultimately end up walking away from him out of a greater desire for things like money or more success or more power or comfort or approval or perhaps their overruling desire for a spouse at any cost. Such thorns, if allowed to grow in our hearts, will ultimately strangle and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So that's three places that our seeds won't grow, and three kinds of hearts in which the word of Christ will not grow. But there is a fourth and final soil that Jesus describes that is very, very different. It's not hard soil or rocky soil or thorny soil. It's good soil. And when the seed falls into this good soil, he tells us it shoots up and grows and ultimately produces a bumper crop. So the question is, what does it mean for our hearts to look like this good soil? Just what instructions does God write on the packet of his word? The answer is in verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it. Those with hearts like the good soil, they hear the words of Jesus and they accept them. They hold fast to it, as it says in Luke's gospel. That's what it means to have a good soil heart. And, and I don't think this is what most people expect. Perhaps some of us, when we read the instructions on a seed packet, think it all sounds a bit complicated and difficult. And so one of the seed packets I was looking at earlier uh, said, um, soak seeds in water for 24 hours before sowing. Sow in a propagator at 20 to 25 degrees or seal them in a clear plastic bag in order to encourage humidity and it, and it went on and on. Perhaps we're tempted to just toss them aside immediately 
thinking to ourselves, yeah, I'm never going to be able to do all of that. In the same way, many people, without ever really stopping to listen, assume that Jesus' words are also too complicated and too hard for them to know what to do with them or to know how to respond to them. And so many people decide up front, whatever Jesus tells me I need to do, I'm never going to be able to do it. Often people assume that he came to set us a whole series of challenges, challenges we have to complete in order to find God for ourselves and earn our way to heaven. They think good soil means having a heart that does far more good things than bad things. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Because the Bible tells us Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to bring God to us because we could never get to God by ourselves, by our own efforts. He came for those with dead and barren hearts. He came for those who know they have bad hearts and sinful hearts so we could be rescued, forgiven and given new hearts. He came to die and rise again so that we could enjoy new life with him forever. So take the farmer in this parable. Uh, Though the soil is important, he knows that the seed is where the power for new life ultimately resides. And so too, the condition of our hearts, it is important, we've seen that. It does matter. How we listen to Jesus matters But Jesus and his words and his works are the place where the actual power for new life resides. And he offers this life, this life-giving seed to us as an undeserved gift. Like the farmer, he doesn't wait for our hearts to be completely sifted and plowed and all healthy and weed-free and good. No, he sows the seed indiscriminately on all kinds of ground, and then he he just appeals to us quite simply to listen and believe. That's what the instructions on this packet of gospel seeds says. Quite simply, hear this word and accept it. He promises that the seed of his word will do the rest, which brings us to the third and final element in this parable, and that is the promise. Thirdly and finally, the promise. One of the biggest selling points of seed packets, I think, in a, if you go in a garden center and you see them there, one of the biggest selling points, especially for people like me who, who know almost zero about plants, is the picture on the front of the packet. It's the picture that presents us with the promise of what the seeds will grow into if we plant them in the right soil. Just imagine for a moment if the picture on the, on the front of the packet was actually just a picture of what's inside. So every seed packet's just got a picture of these tiny little brown things and uh, it just doesn't tell you much about what they are at all. We'd be a lot less confident, wouldn't we, that these tiny brown things in this weird picture are really going to grow into anything. What is that going to produce? No, it's the picture of the fully grown plant that really gives us confidence to plant the seeds in the soil. And Jesus' final words in verse 20 are just like the gloriously colourful picture on the packet where he promises us what the seed of his word will grow into. He wants us to be supremely confident that if we'll simply hear his word and accept it, it will produce a mighty crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now his listeners were more 
uh, knowledgeable about farming than, than many of us are, most of us are, uh, they would have known that the average crop in farming was much, much smaller than this. Maybe it was about seven or eight times what was sown. So the huge numbers that Jesus talks about here, 30, 60, 100 times what's put in the ground, he is promising a truly spectacular crop, one of miraculous abundance. To put it another way, the new life Jesus promises to those who truly hear his word and accept it is mind-blowingly good. Which means that the most important thing, the most fruitful thing you and I could ever do with our lives is to hear and accept the words of Jesus. The most fruitful thing you could ever do with your life is simply to hear and accept the words of Jesus. And then to go on growing in knowing him. His words are life and food. They are a fountain of living water for our souls. His word is the seed that promises an abundant harvest in our lives. So let's be encouraged this morning, all of us, to keep receiving the seed of his word into our hearts each day. Let's follow the instructions on the seed packet of Mark 4 verse 20, receiving Jesus' words like the good soil, wholeheartedly, letting its roots grow down deep inside us. And um, let's especially value as well every opportunity we can find this summer, this August, to have him sow more of the seed of his word into our hearts. As we read it for ourselves and as we get together with friends, we come together as a church to sing and pray and listen to his word together. Sometimes a change of pace in August can, can tempt us to take time out from his words. But why, why not instead? Why don't we look at the summer as a God-given opportunity to spend more time in it? Wherever we might be geographically across the country or across the world on our holidays. As Daniel Aiken writes, be greedy for the word. Go after it, grab hold of it, and do not let it go. Like a starving beggar who has found bread, seize it with all your might and cherish it for the life-sustaining food that it is. And above all, let's remember this summer and, and beyond that Jesus' own eagerness for us to know him, it far outweighs our own. He is never reluctant to speak to us. He is always eager to sow the seed of his word into our hearts. He is passionate to reap a great harvest in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for sowing the seed of your word into us this morning. Lord, please help each and every one of us to receive it like the good soil in this parable. To receive it, accept it, and hold fast to it, come what may. And Lord, we pray, may its life-giving power continue to grow down deeper into every one of our lives. Producing a great harvest of faith, hope, and love that brings glory to you, the merciful and gracious sower of the seed. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who gave his life that we might live. Amen.